Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, it'll be on the screen. I started a sermon series uh, last week called The Ultimate Guide to the Christian Life, How to Elevate Your Walk with God, because what we're talking about is we all want to get to that place in our walk with God where there is that mystique element of the Christian life. And what I mean by that, you've heard this language, you understand it, that you feel God speaking to your heart and life. You feel the Word of God speaking directly to you. You open your Bible for your daily Bible reading, and you, you feel like God, it's not an audible voice, but you just feel that, that presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you're going through difficult times and uh, things are hard, you feel God in your life. That is that mystique uh, element of the Christian life. And so that's what we all want. We all want to get there and we try to shortcut the process, but you can't shortcut the process. There is a discipline to the Christian life. There's a discipleship to the Christian life that gets us to the mystique level of the Christian life. So we're talking about how to level up. You can't skip over all the stuff you're supposed to do and land there. You've got to get the practical down before you get even the, what we'd call the spiritual, the mystique part of it. You got to get the practical down first. So we're talking about during this sermon series, the practicals, how-tos of the Christian life. And last week was kind of an introductory sermon. If you miss it, definitely go back and watch it. It sets the tone for everything we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. So today I want to preach on this subject, how to get to heaven without missing, missing anyone. I want to talk today about how we can be the most effective gospel witness we can possibly be. So hang in there with me, and that'll make sense as we go Along. Let me let me start you off with the story. It was the day after Christmas, 2004. So December 26, 2004. Thousands of Europeans and Americans had flocked to the beaches of Thailand, Sri Lanka, and Indonesia to escape the winter where they were, and they're on the beaches uh, there. And it was at 7:59 a.m. the day after Christmas that a 9.1 magnitude earthquake rocked in the Indian Ocean. Is one of the largest earthquakes ever recorded in recording human history. Well, you know what happens a lot of times when those uh, plates shift underwater that the first city in its path was a city called, and I won't pronounce it right, Banda Asa. It was in the northernmost tip of Sumatra and a tsunami started going uh, towards that city. It arrived 20 minutes, 20 short minutes after the earthquake, and it hit the city, a 100-foot wall of water, 100 feet high, wall of ocean, hit that city. The coastal city has about 320,000 people in it, and instantly, 100,000 men, women, and children perished. It moved through that city, and Thailand was next on the list. And so it, geologists tell us that the wave, the tsunami wave going across the ocean, and this is staggering to me, was traveling at 500 miles an hour, 
Well, it's not going to arrive in Thailand until about an hour and a half later, which would have been time to have sent some warning. But through just a, a series of misfortunate events, the warning didn't go out. Thailand didn't know. They had no idea what had happened in the city an hour, an hour and a half before that. And all of these tourists are there on the beach as the water begins to uh, suck out into the ocean, having no idea what's happening. When it finally hit Thailand, there were... 5,400 people who died on the beaches. Over 2,000 of them were tourists. There was a girl there on vacation, a 10-year-old girl named Tilly Smith. Tilly Smith was on vacation on the beaches of Thailand with her family. They're from Great Britain. But she was there with her family during uh, this time on the day after Christmas, enjoying their holiday. The interesting thing is that, uh, as the story goes, about two weeks before this, she had sat in a geology class or geography class, not really didn't care about geography very much, according to her own testimony, but they'd watched a video about a tsunami. And when they had seen the video right before vacation, she had seen this video where the, the, the ocean wall, the ocean waters were sucked out into the ocean and it would leave hundreds of yards just dry where there had been beach before. So Tilly and her family are on the beach and all of a sudden all of that ocean is being, all that water is being sucked way out into the ocean and there's, there's hundreds of yards of emptiness where there was ocean before. And Tilly, remembering her geography class, suddenly remembers what is happening and she began to scream to her parents, I think something bad's going to happen. And then she began to scream, there's going to be a tsunami, there's going to be a tsunami. Now, you get it, you've got a 10-year-old child who's screaming something about a tsunami. You as an adult, you don't know anything about a tsunami how much attention are you going to pay to your child but Tilly seeing those waters recede and not coming back knew exactly what was about to happen and so she would just begin screaming at the top of her lungs there's going to be a tsunami and you know when seeing kids cause a scene on the beach but she really was causing a scene and she terrified her younger sister so her dad took her younger sister back up to the hotel property where they were staying and Tilly followed her up there and just kept screaming, there's going to be a tsunami, just terrified. And so finally the dad went to a security guard on the property and said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but my daughter said the tsunami's coming. To this security guard's credit, he was not listening to a Ph.D., he was not listening to a doctor of anything. He wasn't listening to a brain surgeon or a NASA scientist or a rocket scientist. He was listening to the screams of a 10-year-old girl and suddenly has a decision to make with hundreds of people on his beach. And he believed what Tilly said. He ran out, sounded the alarm, evacuated the beach. People were out wading into the ocean where it used to be. Evacuated the beach, made all the residents get into the property and go up to the top floor of the property right before the tsunami hit. That day, they called it the Boxing Day Tsunami. That day in Thailand, 54 Hundred people died. That day in total, 230,000 people perished. But not one person on Tilly's Beach died. 230,000 people perished. But not one person on Tilly's Beach died. 
Imagine that, a 10-year-old girl, not an expert geologist, not an expert anything, a 10-year-old girl saving hundreds of lives from something, this is mind-boggling, she learned two weeks before this. A little girl who risked and experienced a lack of knowledge, who experienced and risked rejection, who experienced and risked criticism and ridicule and angry emotions, but she did it for one reason. She did it so lives could be saved. Now, can I tell you something? It is the spirit of Tilly that is desperately needed in our churches. A tsunami is probably not coming to Rock Spring, Georgia. If it does, the whole world is in trouble if it makes it to Rock Spring, Georgia. But can I tell you this? Eternity is coming for all of us. A tsunami may not be here, but an eternity is coming for all of us. And what the church desperately needs are people who are willing to risk criticism and rejection and become just as passionate about reaching people with the gospel before eternity arrives. Like Tilly was before a tsunami arrived. I want you to imagine with me for a moment, we, we love to sing about heaven. I want you to imagine with me, your feet have just landed in heaven. Like you're just newly there. Let's just say you passed away after a long and fruitful life or the, the rapture has occurred. Jesus has come and we're all in heaven. Just get your mind for a moment at home, Rossville, here in the building. Get your mind in heaven for a moment and you, you're going to experience the joy and adulation of worshiping. Jesus is the center of everything and you're going to experience that immediate joy of saying, I've, I finally made it. Now, while your feet are there, I want you to look around and tell me, who do you not want there with you? Who would you rather be in a devil's hell for all of eternity? What family member do you not want there? What friend do you not want there? What coworker do you not want in heaven with you? What neighbor do you not want? What old acquaintance? Is there anyone that you would rather condemn to a, a, an eternal hell Instead of being in heaven with you, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, there's this one guy. Can I tell you this? This one girl, man. She, I, can I tell you this? You, you, if you have an enemy list, and pray to God you don't, your Christians shouldn't have such things. But if you do, your biggest nemesis, if you were a superhero, your biggest nemesis, your biggest enemy. Can I just say that? Your biggest enemy. enemy your biggest enemy, too. Your biggest enemy and your biggest enemy. You want both. Can I tell you this? You want your biggest enemy in heaven. You know why I want my biggest enemy in heaven? I don't know that I have any. Uh, but you know, if, if I do, you, you know why I want, I just want to see them with the crazy taken out of them. You know that? <laughs> I just finally want to meet them and be like, I knew it. It's all you. You're totally different. I knew. I knew. That's why I told you about Jesus. Because I wanted you. I wanted to see you without the crazy. That's what I've been looking for. There's nobody you want to be missing when you get to heaven. But it's most likely going to be through your witness or your invitation to church to hear the gospel that they don't miss heaven. It's true now. It was true even when our Bible was written. So let's see what Peter said. Would you stand with me if you're here in honor of reading God's word, 1 Peter chapter 3. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible today. And by the way, if you're watching online, make sure you sign in, log in. You get a better experience, better Bible experience and all that if you sign in, log in. But look at verse number 12. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. 
Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Be intimidated. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, Peter is uh, talking to a persecuted church. It's a church that is being persecuted from the outside. People are coming against the church, and he's telling them how to be a witness in a culture that isn't exactly appreciative of Christian morals and values. So get that. He's telling them how to be a witness in a culture that isn't exactly appreciative of Christian morals and values. And I want to say, listen, it is, can I say this, that if you know Christ as your Savior, Christians should be the best citizens a nation has. Christians should be the best citizens that America has. We're starting our prayer time today. I hope you come by the church sometime today, Monday or Tuesday, and pray for our upcoming election. But listen, we live in a culture that even today does not appreciate our Christian morals and values. So how do we be a witness? in that time? How do we give a gospel witness in a, in a culture that doesn't appreciate good moral and biblical values? Well, Peter told the church, here's how you do it then, and you'll tell us the same thing today. So let me give you seven things. I'm going to run through these very quickly, but I'd encourage you at home, take notes, uh, online, take notes, here in the building, grab an envelope out of the chair in front of you or something, or write it in your Bible. I'm going to give you seven ways how to get to heaven without missing one. How can you be the best witness you can be? Number one is this, pray for the people who need Jesus. We see it in verse 12. His ears are open to their prayers. Can I say this? Being a good witness starts with a good prayer life. The first thing I'd ask you this morning, if you want to be a good witness, is Where's the list of people you're praying for that you'd like to have in heaven with you? The people who need Jesus, the people who need a church family. Your witness and your invitation will go much farther when it's carried on the wings of prayer. And I want to say, you ought to have a list of people that are constantly on your heart in prayer to God who are far from God. You say, preacher, I don't know anyone. Then it's on you to go find someone. God has left you here for a reason. He has left you here to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. And part of that is praying for people who are far from God. Praying for people who need Jesus. Praying for people who need to be in church. And listen, the greatest evangelists of all time said the same thing. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10.1, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them. And I put in parentheses, Israel is for their salvation. Paul said, my prayer is for Israel to be saved. I want to tell you, it is easier to invite someone to church when you have been praying for them. Write it on a note card. Write their names on a note card and put it where you can see it. Take your phone and set a daily reminder. I wear reminders out on my on my iPhone. I, I wear reminders out and I leave uh, reminders all the time. And, and I used to be able to say, hey, that name, I can't say it or all your phones will go off. But I used to say, hey, thing, and, but my wife's name's Sherry. So I'd say, hey, Sherry, and my phone would say, what? And then I thought, uh, uh, Tim, whatever his name was, was listening to me when I did it. And so I, I do it manually now, but I, 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 wear, I wear that out. Why? And listen, you can feel what you do. You can take your phone out, okay, what kind of phone you have, you take it out. And you set a reminder that say, hey, every day at 6 a.m., remind me to pray for whoever it may be. 
or whenever you're going to pray. Pray. Listen, write it on a post-it note. Put their name in your car. Write on a post-it note. Put your name on the desk. You figure out some way for those people who are in your life who are far from God. You'll be a better witness when you learn to pray for people who need Jesus. The second thing he tells us, number two, is this. How to be a good witness. Don't be intim- intimidated by people far from God. Right here, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where we lose our courage. He said, Peter said, do not fear them or be intimidated. Fear and intimidation. We are afraid of failure and rejection, right? We don't like to fail. We don't like somebody to tell us no, so we have that fear. Then we're intimidated by their possible questions and their arguments. And so we get the idea when a win-lose situation. That is, well, if I invite them to church and they don't come, I lose. And that's never the case. If you invite people to church or you tell them about Jesus, you win no matter what happens. There's no such thing as a failure when you witness. Because who knows what the Holy Spirit is going to do with your witness, even if a door is slammed in your face. Who knows? Who knows? How many people know, uh, how many people ever heard of Share Jesus Without Fear? You ever seen that? You ever seen that? There's a great product called Share Jesus Without Fear. and It's hard to share Jesus without fear. But you never lose when you share Jesus. Can I tell you this? They, they don't have an argument you can't deal with. A person far from God has no argument that you haven't thought of before. And can I tell you the worst argument, that the one that scares us the most, in my opinion, the one that scares us the most, is when you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus and they say, well, I don't know how you believe that Bible. That Bible's full of errors. Can I, can I tell you how to deal with that? And you move on with life. Can I tell you how to get over that fear? Somebody says, that Bible's full of errors. I want you to do this. Exactly this. Copy me. Go. <gasps> Practice it with me. Ready? Do it. Go. <gasps> Would you show them to me? They don't know about any errors in the Bible. They heard somebody say that in fifth grade and they can't get over it and they don't know anything about any errors in the Bible. If you'll show them to me, I don't know, but I'll find out what the truth is. Other than that, just invite them to church and talk about Jesus. Don't fear them rejecting you. Here's what Jesus said about rejection. Jesus said, whoever listens to you listens to me. But whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. That rejection is not about you. That rejection about Jesus. Can I tell you something else that will help you get over fear and intimidation? Just tell your story of how Jesus has changed your life. Did you know that people cannot argue about your story? They cannot argue with your testimony. You don't get intimidated or fearful about telling somebody about something that's changed your life. Hey, if you've been here for any length of time, I know some of you are new, but, but about six months ago, I, I, I gave a testimony. I told you about something that changed my life. See if you remember it. How many of you remember online here at Rossville? How many of you remember it? How many of you remember me telling you about how Publix Blackjack Cherry Ice Cream had changed my life? Anybody remember that? Did anybody get offended by that? No, no, did it, I mean, there may have been some of you who are just unbelievers at this point who, who, who have never tried it, who you would say something like, well, I don't know, Rocky Mountain fudge, whatever, is better. It's not, it's not better. Uh, Blackjack cherry, pub, somebody told me in church, public owns their own dairy cows. Don't buy any other kind of ice cream. I'm telling you, public's Blackjack cherry ice cream will set you free. There's only one person who ever got offended by that. Do you know who got offended by my testimony? Me. 
Because Publix was out of it for weeks after that. Weeks. Weeks. If I tell you blackjack cherry ice cream changed my life, you don't have an argument. You might have a different opinion, but you don't have an argument. When you tell people Jesus has changed your life, they can't argue with that. So don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by people who are far from God. Can I show you the third thing? I'm going to move a little faster. Number three. Can I tell you this? The closer you are to Christ, the better you'll see the harvest. Here's what he said. He starts off this passage, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. One reason we aren't inviting people to church and being a witness is that we don't walk with the Lord. It's not a witnessing problem. It's a walking with the Lord problem. This phrase tells us that if I'm walking with Jesus and being influenced by him, then I'm going to be passionate about the things he is passionate about. And God is passionate about some very specific things. For example, the Bible tells us he's passionate about the church. Like this body of believer, he's passionate about it. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he died for the church. And can I be honest, if you die for something, you're passionate about it. That's why when somebody says, well, preacher, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to come to church. That's right. You just have to come to church to be a good Christian. All the people at home said amen when I said that. It was amazing. I heard, thank you very much. Ross will just own that. But there's no Christianity apart from the church. It's foreign to the Bible. You, you can be saved, but Jesus died for the church. He's passionate about it. But see what else he's passionate about too. He said in Luke 5, 32, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was passionate about people who were far from God. And here's the truth. If Jesus is that focused on people far from God, if you're walking with Jesus, that'll be your focus too. John Berger wrote a book called Contagious. It's a marketing book. It's a business book. But he wrote it and he tells a story. In 1997, Mars candy bars sales went through the roof. Mars candy bar sales went through the roof. And the Mars company had no idea why. They'd not done any extra promotion. They'd not done any extra advertising. They'd not done anything out of the ordinary, but sales were just skyrocketing for Mars candy bars. But they figured it out because 1997 was also the year that NASA launched Pathfinder mission. And do you know where the Pathfinder was headed to? Does anybody know? Mars. Mars. And the news was inundated with the word Mars. And apparently we don't know the difference between the planet and the candy bar. So we all ran to the grocery store and bought a candy bar. Because of the focus that was on the candy bar, focus that was on the planet, you'd be standing in Publix and you'd see the National Enquirer and it's a uh, Pathfinder mission abducted by aliens. And you'd look down and say, oh, Mars candy bar, I think I'll get that. Because it's what the focus of the nation was on. Because when something has that much focus, it can't help but spill over in your life. And Jesus gives the lost his attention. And when you hang out with him, the closer you are to Christ, the more, the better you'll see the harvest that's around you. Number, number four, let me say this. You need to be alert for every opportunity. Here, here's what he said. Ready at any time. We never know when the Lord is going to send someone our way. So the best thing we can do is be a witness to all and always be ready. Opportunities are abundant when we are ready. You know, you need to hear this. Not all chance encounters are chance encounters. Sometimes they're opportunities. Not all normal conversations are normal conversations. Sometimes they're opportunities. 
Not all everyday activities. You say, oh, preacher, I get the same day every day. I get up, I go to school, I come home, I do homework, uh, Instagram or TikTok, and I go to bed. Yeah, I get it. But do you ever think that God may have you at that school for the sole purpose of being a witness for the gospel? So preacher, it's the same thing. I had to get up, go to work, come home, cook, clean, kids. All I get it. But God may have you at that work just for your gospel witness. Not er all everyday activities are everyday activities. And here's what Peter was trying to tell us. Stand ready at all the times. Be alert. There will be opportunities parading in front of you if you're walking with Jesus and ready to give a witness. Number five, let me tell you this. Know your salvation so you can tell others. Here's what he says. Ready to give a defense to anyone. Now, the word defense there in the Greek is a word you're going to recognize. But don't let it threaten you. It's the Greek word apologia. And it's where we get our word apologetics from. And it means to give a speech in defense of something. But don't, don't let that threaten you. Because you don't need a theology degree to uh, know how to be a witness. I don't have a theology degree. I have a degree in pastoral ministries and a master's in leadership. So I don't, I don't even have a theology degree. I've had plenty of theology classes, but you don't have to have a theology class in order to be, know how to be a gospel witness. Can I tell you, you need to know a couple things. Here's what you need to know about your salvation. Number one, you need to know what you did to get saved. And number two, you need to know your personal salvation story. And some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, that's the problem. I don't really know everything theologically that happened to me. Yes, you do. And here it is. I tell it to you every week. It's this simple. A, B, C. I don't care if you use any of these words or not. This is exactly what you did in order to come to Christ. Here it was. You had to, number one, A, admit that you're a sinner and could not save yourself and could not earn your way to heaven. We all have to get there. There's no pride at the foot of the cross. We all have to get to the place where we say, God, I, I cannot save myself. I am a sinner far from God. I, I, I cast myself at your mercy. We all have to admit that. And then believe, B, we all have to believe that Christ died on the cross for our sin and rose again the third day. Uh, the, the Bible calls that the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. And then C, once you admit you're a sinner and know you can't save yourself, and once you believe Christ died on, your on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day, then see, it's the only thing left. You have to confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You did that if you're a Christian. Now, by the way, if you don't remember doing this, you should today question your salvation. I don't say you got to remember every detail, but you, did something. you may not have used any of these words, but this process had to take place, ABC. You say, where did you get that deep theological learning from? I learned it in a vacation Bible school book in the early 2000s. It's how you told a 10-year-old how to come to faith in Christ. That's how deep it is theologically. When I, when I, when I, I was pastoring a church then, and uh, when I was... When I saw that, I said, that's the clearest gospel explanation I've ever heard. It meant believe and confess. And I started closing, like I do today, every sermon out with it. I didn't pay attention to what was going on or if people were. I just closed every sermon that way. One day on a Monday, I was in my office, and we were having a small staff meeting in my office. And my assistant walked into my office, and she said, hey, preacher, Alan's on the phone and needs to talk with you. Now, Alan was one of the best church members I had. He and his family are awesome, still awesome today. Fantastic church member. Alan drove a truck for a living. And so Alan said, hey, I need to talk to you. And, and I said, hey, tell him I'm in a meeting. I'll, I'll, I'll call him right back. So she left. She came back. And she said, uh, Alan said he needs to talk to you right now. And I was like, you know, a little perturbed in the flesh. And I was like, hey, you tell Alan. I'll call, I'll call him back when I want to. So she left. 
And uh, she, she came back and she said, Preacher, he said he has to talk to you right now. And so I, I picked up the phone. I said, hey, Alan, what's going on? And Alan said, hey, Preacher, here, and just right into it. He said, hey, Preacher, I got, I'm, on, I'm here at work. I'm at a dock door, and I'm witnessing to somebody, one of my coworkers, and I'm telling the gospel, and I've told him A and B for the life of me. I can't remember what C is. Now, I had never told anybody to share their faith this way. I would never said that. He just heard it every week, week after week after week. And immediately I felt about that big for making him wait. And, uh, and I said, oh, Alan. And I was about to tell him C meant confess and then explain it to him. And I said, Alan, C means confess. And as soon as I said confess, oh, I got it in your mind and hung up on me on the phone. <laughs> he led that fellow to Christ. He came to church next week. He got baptized a few weeks after that, joined our church, and he died a few years later in a motorcycle accident. And here's the theology of his salvation, and it's yours and mine too. Admit, believe, and confess. Know your salvation so you can tell it to others. Know your testimony so you can tell it to others. You say, well, I don't have a great testimony. I, and look, I was saved when I was 12 years old. I get it. Grew up in church. I get it. Some of you had a hard life. And by the way, I've never met anybody who ran from God for decades who, were, who was proud they ran for God for decades. They all want the testimony of, I wish I'd got saved when I was 10 years old. And save myself decades of misery. But it doesn't matter if you were saved at 12, 10, 30, 50, 70. Here's your testimony and mine. Tell somebody what your life before Christ was like. Can I tell you, I was saved when I was 12 years old, but I lay in bed at night miserably scared about where I would spend eternity, and I was a lost boy who was disobedient to God and anybody else that uh, tried to get me to do something, and I was far from God at 12 years old and headed to a devil's hell. That was my life before Christ. Then tell them how you came to Christ, your salvation story, and then number three, tell them your life after Christ. That is your testimony. And by the way, your life after Christ should be much better than your life before Christ. If not, you need to uh, figure some things out. There's nothing more powerful than ABC and a testimony so that you know your salvation so you can tell others. Let me give you number six. You want to be a good witness? Don't argue, invite. Don't argue, invite. Here, here's, here's what Paul, Peter said, that people are going to ask for the reason for the hope that is in you. You know what people are not asking for? They're not asking for the reason for the anger that's in you. They're not asking for the reason for the argument that's in you. They're asking for the reason for the hope that is in you. Can I tell you something? Too many Christians spend too much time arguing. Now listen, our greatest example is Paul. I'm reading through my Bible. I do it every two years, and I'm about to finish up this early October, and so uh, I, I'm reading through the book of Acts, and I ran across this verse in Acts 9, 19 this week as I was reading my Bible study, and Paul, the, Paul who's the greatest uh, evangelist witness the world's ever known, said this was said about him. Now let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus was a uber-pagan city, like it was over-the-top pagan, worshipped the goddess Diana, and was absolutely infatuated with the temple of Diana, the goddess Diana, all things Diana, and Paul's been there for a while preaching the gospel in marketplaces and all that, and so finally some people get tired of it, I won't tell you the whole story, and they, they, a mob grabs him, beats him, and an officer steps in to stop him from being killed, they're about to kill him, and so uh, when, when he kind of settles down, here's what somebody testified about Paul, for you have brought these men here, get this, who are not temple robbers of Diana, or blasphemers of our goddess. Here's what somebody said about Paul. He's been here these years. And he's never blasphemed our goddess. 
And he got all, I mean, it was, it was terrible. Pagan worship, terrible. But Paul knew this and set the tone for us. Our message is not other religions bad. Our message is Jesus saves. I get asked all the time as a pastor, and I've done it before, I'm not against it. People will say to me, hey, preacher, why don't you preach a series about other religions? A few reasons why I won't do that. Number one, I don't want to spout that disinformation from the pulpit of God, number one. Number two, it changes all the time, and it's hard to keep up with the religion of the day. And number three, you've never argued anybody into coming to faith in Christ. I'd rather not waste my time on other religions, but, waste, but spend my time on Jesus. And let him do the work in their heart and lives. Number seven, I'm finished. Want to be a good witness? Always leave the door open. Look at what Peter said. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Look at the words. Gentleness, reverence, clear conscience, good conduct. You know how to be a good witness? Tell and invite others. Do it with kindness and not anger. And live the life you talk about in front of them. They may not come that Sunday. They may not get saved that day. They may not turn to Christ immediately. But if you'll leave the door open, it'll be your door they're knocking on one day. Just keep the invite going and see what the Lord does. Let's get participatory. Everybody that wants to go to heaven when you die, say amen as loud as you can. Say it. Amen. Now, who do you not? Close your Bibles. Let me tell you a story and I'm finished. A guy named Philip Pontes, I'm trying to say his name correctly, was um, needed a place to stash his collection of rare watches. Philip had been gathering rare timepieces since he was a teenager. And he'd actually become an international expert in, the, in, in collecting and the repairing of rare timepieces. So he he, he, he collected them and he repaired them for other people. And he became an international expert in that. He kept his collection at his home. And in 1983, Philip said, hey, it's worth too much money. I don't need to keep this rare collection at home. And so he, he talked to some people and decided that he would uh, put it in a safety deposit box at his local bank. I think it was Wells Fargo. I'm not sure about that at his local bank. And so you know what a safety deposit box is. It looks like that. You, you know it. But requires two keys to open it. The banker has a key and Philip had a key and it, both keys to open it. Bank keys never supposed to leave the bank and Philip's always has the key on him. So in 1983, he took his rare collection and he put it in a safety deposit box. And over the years and over the decades, he added to and took away, but most added to and kept his timepieces secure in there. In April 2017, Philip got the banker, went into his safety deposit box. They put their keys in. They turned it. And when he lifted the lid, his safety deposit box was totally empty. He said, I was devastated. I never felt like that in my life before. I didn't even know that you can have a feeling like I had then. I didn't know this until then that I read the story, but... There are about 25 million safety deposit boxes in America, and they have no federal regulation or recourse whatsoever. So if everything goes missing, you have no recourse for a safety deposit box. As a matter of fact, every year, hundreds of boxes go empty of things like jewelry, 
rare coins, and even stacks of cash. So don't you imagine Philip turns the lid up on that box. His life's work is gone. His life's work is gone. The estimated value of that loss was more than $10 million. It is the largest safe deposit box known loss in American history. So now that you know that, now go back. He opens the lid on his life's work, his life's work. As a matter of fact, I've got a picture of him there. It's his, it's his life's work, his life's work. Opens the lid. Ten plus million dollars. I want you to imagine for a moment, just, I mean, just to imagine the devastation. I lose a $5 bill and I'm, I'm upset for a week. I, I can't imagine $10 million and your life's work gone. Now bottle that emotion just for a minute and let me tell you this. Hold on to that emotion just for a moment. That's nothing compared to the feeling when you get to heaven. And you look around for people that you wanted to be there. People that were under your care. People God had placed in your path. People that I was supposed to witness to. People that I was supposed to invite to Christ. I'm going door to door in heaven. Maybe it's an angel that has stopped you and said, I'm so sorry. We know who you're looking for, but they're not here. Reason, there's a reason the Bible says at the end of the book of it's an odd verse. It's, you would almost think it's out of context. Listen to you, the verse it says in Revelation 21 that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. How many of you know that verse? You know that verse? Well, it doesn't fit. We're in heaven. Why does God need to wipe away tears? Well, the reason God, I believe, needs to wipe away tears from our eyes is because in Revelation chapter 20, all those people who died without Christ have been thrown in the lake of fire for all of eternity. All of eternity. Friends, family, co-workers, people that were under our sphere of influence. And that's going to be so devastating for all of us to watch that, that in Revelation 21, it takes an act of God to remove the tears from our eyes and let us get on with heaven. For a moment, we're going to see the blood on our hands And for a moment, we're going to see how one invitation would have changed their lives. How one witness, how one prayer would have changed their lives. But then it's going to be too late. So how do you get to heaven without missing anyone? Pray for people who need Jesus. Don't be intimidated by people far from God. And the closer you are to Christ, the more you'll see it. And he'll he'll send opportunities your way. But know your salvation. ABC, that's it. Know your testimony. Quit arguing. Start inviting. And when people say no, leave the door open. Leave the door open. If you're watching online, don't, don't go away. I'm going to tell you something we're about to send you in a minute. But in the room at Rossville, would you stand up with me, heads bowed, eyes closed? 
Hey, and I want to tell you this, heads bowed, eyes closed everywhere, and I've already told you how to become a Christian. I'm not going to do that again. It's as simple as A, B, C. And if today you'd like to trust Christ as your Savior, you're questioning your own salvation, let's just do it now. I've already explained the theology. All that's left is for you to pray and trust Christ. So if you'd like to be saved at home, online, I want you to, or, or even right here in the building at Ross, I want you to pray with me right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking. Pray a prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and cannot save myself. But I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin and rose again the third day. And just now I invite Christ into my life to save me, forgive me of my sin, and give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, it's not the prayer that saved you, but the intent of your heart was to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Listen, if you did that, you are born again. Now, if you just prayed with me, no matter where you are, everybody else, keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. But if you just prayed with me, I want you to look up and look at the screen, and I want you to take out your phone sometime today and text, I did, to the number 97,000. So where the phone number goes, put in 97000. Where the text goes, text, I did, no spaces, there's a booklet we want to send you that talks about the next seven steps in the Christian life. And you need to know what those are. And you won't know them unless we send that to you. So we'll just get a little information from you. We'll send it. And people, by the way, people do that every week. Every week we do this. So text I did to 97,000. Now, can everybody look here online? Hang with me just for one moment. Here in the building at Rossville, if you look in your seat, there are... We have printed up some brand new invitation cards to church. Would you take those that are in your seat and would you take them home with you? Pick them up right now. If there's some empty seats next to you, you can have those. We don't want them. They don't do us any good inside the building. We want them outside the building. So get them outside the building. Take all you want. We'll give you more if you want more. I, I think we printed five or 6,000 of those things. We, we, we're going to give them out. But after this sermon, early this afternoon, if you're watching online or you're here, if you are a member or regular attender, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to text that same invite to you in digital form. It'll be a photograph and save it to your photos. And now you have it on your phone all the time. If you're a first time guest, second time guest, if you'll download our app, Pvine City, just search Pvine City. If you'll go down to our photos, it's, it's down, it, wallpapers I think it's called. You, you'll see it right there and you can download it right to your phone and we'd love for you to join us and be in an army to invite other people because people need the Lord and they're not going to find out unless we tell them. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.